You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Jake Corley. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. What is going on, guys? Welcome back to an episode of Oil & Gas This Week. You're listening to episode 196. We are four away from 200, Mark. Yeah, we have some plans for our 200th that just is not quite locked down yet. But as soon as we get locked down, we'll let our audience know because we're planning to do something really cool. And speaking of something really cool, big shout out to, how would you pronounce his first name, Jake? Rogelio Garcia. Rogelio Garcia. He won one of the IBM shirts and he was nice enough to snap a picture of it along with the OGGN Tumblr and, and shoot it out to us. And it's just really cool. He's a chemical engineering graduate student and he gives us big kudos and also our sponsor IBM for keeping him updated on the latest news and trends. So big shout out. We appreciate you wearing the shirt. And then Jake, I just came back from Calgary. I was doing some speaking for IBM up in Calgary and one of the audience members had the shirt on. It's just cool to see our <laughs> giveaways all over the world and people are happy to show them off to us. That is pretty awesome. And speaking of awesome, we also have some great reviews that you guys have left. Obviously, that's the way you support us and keep us doing what we're doing. This one says excellent content for the latest news and trends in the oil and gas market. Five stars from Quipper Rob. They write, these guys are on top of the industry news and provide valuable insights as they break down current trends in the oil and gas market. Super helpful. Keep the comment coming. We will. And let's get into the news because we got something going on that's affecting all of us right now. Yeah. So I was kind of looking forward to going to Sarah Week this week. And I just saw this morning, as you did, Mark, that Sarah Week is canceled due to the coronavirus outbreak hysteria that is spreading across the world. Yeah. And we actually, we were supposed to leave and go to Aberdeen to launch a sales and marketing podcast tomorrow. And I actually canceled that trip. Now, I want to be real clear here. I'm not worried about the virus at all. The virus is not that bad. More people die of the flu by far than of the coronavirus. The problem is that the news agencies are overreacting like they do about everything. And now the governments are starting to overreact. And so the problem is the UK has just been stepped up to level three health threat by the CDC, which means that when we come back from the UK, we could be quarantined if somebody in our plane is tested positive or looks like they have the coronavirus. And I just can't take that chance with me and my people. So I'm making a decision to keep my people safe, not from the virus, but from being quarantined when we come back. And I totally get how Sarah Week had to make a judgment call. You know, this is probably, I would guess, millions of dollars of lost revenue for the city of Houston and all the the hotels and restaurants and venues and all that sort of stuff. It's also a lot of money being lost by IHS Market Kit, who puts this thing on. At the same time, they can't take that negative black eye in public if something bad would happen. It's a hard call. It was a really hard call for me today to, to cancel our trip. We lost some money on this, but I thought it was the right thing to do. My people's safety comes first. And I think that's what's going on right here at Sarah Week. But it's just a shame that the media on both political sides – just loves to grab anything it can and blow it out of proportion. Yeah, it seems I – mean, obviously, there's been a lot of deaths, but I think comparatively speaking, yeah, I think it has been blown a little bit out of proportion. But you know, I agree with IHS. It's better safe than sorry. There was people from 80 different countries that were supposed to be participating You know, with all that travel and being around a lot of other people and, and whatnot. Who knows? Maybe the entire oil industry would have been wiped out by coronavirus in just one event. Well, I tell you what, it's affecting the stock market. Like, I don't even want to look at my investment portfolio right now. And I know it's a perception thing, but perception in today's constant, always on social media world, perception can move the needle a lot. I mean, this is a perfect example of it. And that's Jake's co-host, by the way. You just heard bark in the background. <laughs> so speaking of tech, let's talk about a little something happier. Tech and energy teaming up, creating a market that could grow 500% in the next five years. The oil and gas energy tech community 
didn't really exist a few years ago. And so we've been talking about this for a long time, saying that you know companies need to be focused more on digital services, digital transformation. Most companies need to become data companies first and foremost, not just in the oil and gas industry, but everywhere. And now we're seeing that, was it Barclays, I think was the one that, who did the report. Yeah, Barclays did the report saying that the oil-focused digital services industry will grow from less than $5 billion market today to more than a $30 billion market annually over the next five years in the upstream market alone, leading to $150 billion in annual savings for oil producers. $30 billion just from the digital, just from upstream. That's a big company if you're a $30 billion a year company. So the, the potential is there. And Jake, you and I and all of our peers have been talking about this for years. <laughs> I mean, literally for years. So this is not news to you and me. I do think it's interesting to see what I would consider almost a bit of a hypocritical approach. So some of the really big technology vendors that are out there that are coming into the oil and gas industry that are looking quite honestly to make money and are making money from us at the same time, don't want it to admit publicly that they're doing work in our industry. And that just bothers me, right? Whether we have a difference in opinion on climate change and the how much hydrocarbons contribute to that and man's activity contribute to that, if you're coming in and helping us and making money off us, be proud of it, right? And if you think we're in this energy transition period of time, be okay with helping the oil and gas companies make that transition if that's what really happens. But don't hide from your shareholders and from your public and say that you don't support the hydrocarbon industry at the same time you're spending money, making money, you know, working in the oil and gas industry. It just bothers me. Yeah. The CEO of, uh, oh, which company was it? Oh man, I can't think of his name. Is it like Satya Nadella or something like that? It's Microsoft, right? Oh, with Microsoft. Yeah. 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 So he was quoted as saying, it wasn't actually in this article. It was something I read last week that a big part of their cloud services offerings with their Azure platform, he saw a lot of room for, I guess, optimization through digitalization with things like their platform in the energy industry. And so I actually thought that was kind of peculiar that he actually said that in a conference. Yeah. It's interesting. I don't want to get too deep into the names of the big tech companies and who's doing what, but there's definitely a difference in approach and how they're dealing with us publicly. And I think the one that are you know able to come to the table and say yes we're working with Chevron or Schlumberger or you know Halliburton or whatever and we're helping them and they're being open and honest and transparent about it I think we're gonna get more business than the ones that publicly say we don't like fossil fuels and yet their sales teams are calling on those same companies. So if you have an idea or something you want to pursue in the oil and gas industry, there's never been a better time than now. We've seen all the biggest oil field service companies, the Schlumbergers, the Baker Hughes, Halliburton all gearing up to become more of a digital service company than an actual physical service company. So the writing's been on the walls. We've had more and more venture capital flowing into this space than we've ever seen before. We're seeing tons of exits. So it's it's a really, really exciting time to be in this space. I know it's a lot of doom and gloom in the industry, and we've been talking about a lot of that, but that means there's a lot of opportunity as well. Yeah. I mean, look at all the big oil companies that have internal venture groups. They're not doing that to flip companies and make a profit. They're doing that because they're looking for the next great thing to help them compete. And they finally realize that the next great thing may not come from a large corporation. It may come from a two-man startup in Lafayette, Louisiana, right? Or in, you know, somewhere in Cairo, Egypt or whatever. So to your point, you know, if you have a good idea, if you see a problem that you can solve and you understand at least at a high level how the oil and gas industry works and you have that entrepreneur spirit, this is probably the best time in history for you to pursue that. Absolutely. Saudi Ramco is investing $110 billion billion dollars into the Jafura unconventional gas field. 
So this is supposed to yield approximately $8.6 billion annually, providing a GDP with $20 billion annually while creating job opportunities. Funny thing is, I actually thought the markets were going to respond a little bit to this, but however, there's been practically no movement as a result of this announcement. Yeah, natural gas is interesting. It's definitely the fuel of the future. It's definitely a money maker in the future, but it's just the price is just so low right now. And that's part because it's hard to move around. We haven't built the LNG factories that are needed to compress it to gas. We haven't built enough offloading terminals, enough importing terminals, enough regasification plants, enough LNG offshore carriers. But we're coming. We're in that growth phase where we're building the infrastructure. Now, I think in the next couple of years, as, the, as more and more of that infrastructure comes online and you start moving more and more LNG around the world, I think you can see the prices go up. It is interesting, though, because I was thinking about this the other day. You know, one of the projections that both BP and McKinsey is they're looking at the future out to 2050, and they're projecting there's going to be a decline in the need for fuels from hydrocarbons, so gasoline, diesel, that sort of stuff. And the reason they think there's going to be a decline is the increase in electric vehicles. And this has kind of been in the back of my head for a while. And it's like, you know, when I think about breakthroughs in technology, so you think about the Ubers of the world, does that cause people to use less vehicles or more vehicles as the price comes down and as it get easier to use something think of your cell phone as the prices come down because it's not that long ago where it's very expensive to call on a cell phone and data was prohibitively expensive as the prices go down do more people use it so i'm gonna actually go on record and i think that as we move in the future i think the demand for fuels from from hydrocarbons is actually gonna go up i think with things like ride share and smart cars self-driving cars more people are have access to it, and I think it's going to drive the demand up. Electrical vehicles are great. They really are. We need a breakthrough in battery technology. But because you don't have that transmission, because you have 100% of the torque at one RPM, the motor could be connected directly to the wheel, and you don't have that 20% loss, and then you're not dumping all that wasted energy as heat, we just need a battery breakthrough. But you know, the more I think about it, if it becomes cheaper and cheaper and easier and easier, I think the opposite is going to happen. I don't think the demand for f- vehicles that run internal combustion engines are going to go down. I actually think it may go up. Let's see if I'm still around in 2050, if I'm right. <laughs> All right. So speaking of emissions and natural gas, Denver-based Semerex Energy, whose operations are con- concentrated in the Permian Basin and Mid-Continent, wants to be an active participant in how national policies are set for environmental stewardship. But first, they want to walk the walk. And so they are actually going to be tying executive compensation directly to reducing their emissions. What do you think about that, Jake? I think it's a smart move. I think it ties into a bigger conversation on governance and how executives have been compensated. I think it's just kind of basic psychology, compensate people based on things that are actually good for the company, good for the people, good for the environment. Yeah, we hope that they're tying it to other things, not just emissions and natural gas flaring. But I think this is a step in the right direction. This is not the only company that we've seen do this. There's been a few others so far. Can't remember off the top of my head, but I think it's a step in the right direction. Yeah, so I agree with you. This is a bit surprising. And of course, we know why they're doing this is because of public perception. But I like the idea. I like the idea of tying executive compensation oil and gas to something other than growth. Would this have been my first one? No. Would this have been my top 10 list? Yeah, I think it would have been because it's such an issue in in the public, right? So I like that they're doing this. It is going to be interesting to see what happens. Does this affect the business in a positive way? You know, it's sort of like HS&E metrics for, for a very long time. 
people said that if you ran a solid HSE program with no lost time incidents, it slowed you down. And eventually it was proven that the opposite. It's a more efficient operation when people don't get hurt. So it's just sort of the same thing is by tying their executive composition to reducing emissions that make the company better and they perform better, which should be you know better for their shareholders and their employees. Let's keep an eye on this because this is something different. And I like the fact they're willing to try something different and be public about it. Slumberger's chief says that crazy shell growth is a thing of the past. Obviously, we saw a crazy rate of production growth seen in the U.S. shale over the last five years. I always butcher his name, but I think it's Olivier Le Pew. Is that right? Yep, that's right. So kind of like Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> Only people in the U.S. that watch cartoons 20 years ago know what you're talking about. <laughs> Which should be most people on the show, I would hope. So the growth rate will slow considerably to 600,000 to 700,000 per day this year, and even worth to just two. 100,000 barrels per day in 2021 is what they are estimating. And that's directly from Schlumberger. So I'm going to disagree with him. So number one, unfortunately, I love Schlumberger. They're literally right down the street from my house. They're North American headquarters. Number one, they've done horrible in the U.S. They do really well internationally, but their business practices needed to change compared to their competitors. And honestly, Jake, they're doing it. They're doing some stuff that just wowed me. It was actually in my predictions two years ago when they started renting their tools, their competitors. So they know they need to change and they're trying to change. Will production go down? I think production growth is going to slow. Do I think production itself is going to go down? I don't think so. I'm firmly convinced there's going to be new breakthroughs in processes and technology this year and next year and the year after, which will continue to lower costs and drive efficiencies. Now, will we ever see the growth in shale like we did, you know, 10 years ago? No. But you got to take that in context. You know, it's sort of like if you have $1 and somebody gives you another dollar, well, you've just grown that 100%. Sounds like a lot, but it's only $2, right? So I think the growth rate will absolutely slow down. It has to, right? We'd have to have this market correction that's happening right now. Do I ever think it's going to decline? No. Yeah, I would have to agree with you. I think he's kind of saying the obvious, but I, I wouldn't take it. Uh, I definitely wouldn't say it's going to decrease the production as well. But I'll tell you what, Levy, if you'd like to come on our show and talk about it, me and Jake could fit you in our schedule. Promise. <laughs> Speaking of things like this, largest bank in the US will not fund fossil fuel extraction in the Arctic National Wildlife refuge. Just that title alone is a little bit biased, but it ties into the bigger conversation around JP Morgan, which JP Morgan has funded more oil and gas exploration than anybody ever by a long shot. It's like almost double. I was looking through some statistics on this. So this is going to be the first domino to fall. So we're going to say they're not going to do it in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. And my guess is that this is not going to be the last time that we're going to hear about this. I think this is going to expand as more banks and more investors are wanting to divest out of oil and gas investments to meet ESG quote unquote concerns. Yeah, Jake. So this is sort of like you and me and the rest of the OGG and game going, look, we're drawing a line in the sand. We want to support the environment and we're pledging right now not to invest any money in drilling for oil in Hawaii. Well, What's funny about that is you're not going to drill for oil in Hawaii, right? You're just not going to do it. So it's really easy to say, put our foot down, we're not going to do it. One of our listeners probably knows this, but whatever the cost of crude has to be to make it economically viable to drill and produce in the Arctic, it has to be around $100 a barrel. I mean, maybe even more. The environment is so extreme. Logistics are almost non-existent. The amount of redundancy and protection you're going to have to have just to even drill there is just going to drive costs through. I don't think anybody's going to drill in the Arctic. Now, here's the flip side of it, though, is that if anybody does drill in the Arctic, it's most probably going to be China and Russia. And I ask this question all the time. Have you ever heard of a Chinese or Russian oil spill? And the answer is no. 
That means one of two things. That means one, they're better at it than the American European companies, or they don't tell. So if anybody drills an Arctic, you would want it to be one of the American or European companies. You'd want it to be Shell or Exxon or BP or Chevron or whatever, because if something bad happens, not only would they tell, they'll spend the money and the time to clean it up and fix it, whereas the Russian and Chinese companies won't. And this, is, I think, is a bit of a PR thing from J.P. Morgan Chase. J.P. Morgan Chase is in the business of making money. And if an oil and gas project makes money for them, they're going to do it. But to your point, Jake, it's getting to the point now that these ESG conversations are moving the needle enough. It's perception. It's not reality. But it's moving the needle enough that big companies are making decisions that will affect their shareholders. But once again, this is a bit of a PR stunt. Nobody's looking to drill in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge now anyway. But we'll keep an eye on this. This really is doesn't mean much of anything. So kind of on the same topic. Democratic presidential candidates are courting Oklahomans for votes. We've seen that Elizabeth Warren, we've seen Bernie Sanders. Actually, I think almost everybody who has been a Democratic candidate, even Pete Boudier, who I guess just dropped out as well, is calling for some sort of ban on fracking or anything having to do with oil and gas production and destruction. Ah, don't even get me started. You remember I said that this year's a year I'm not going to shy away from politics. I saw your post on Facebook. You're like, I'm doubling down. I'm going, I'm going super political. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Number one, it won't happen, right? The moment you can't heat your home, the moment you can't afford gasoline in your car, you go vote for somebody else. Just ask the people in California that are moving to Texas. The reason they're moving to Texas, they can't afford to live in their own state anymore. The reason they can't afford to live in their own state is because the politics they support drives the cost of living to the roof, right? So then they have to move out of their own state state because of the way they approach politics. All of the Democrat nominees or future nominees all support some type of attack on the oil and gas industry. And it's just, it's just asinine. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. It's just posturing. And literally, they don't understand business. And it drives me crazy. And I know why they are doing it. But what drives me crazy is people that should be more intellectual about it aren't. It's an emotional response to support this type of stuff. And it just, it just needs to stop. Do I think it's going to stop? No. Do I think that the oil and gas industry has gotten to the point where they're just tired of this? Yeah. We're actually working on something that probably won't come out till 2021, where as an organization, OGGN is to go head to head with these guys because this is this hurts everybody. Now, who wins the election as far as Republican or Democrats? Let's still wait and see where that goes. I put my two cents already on Trump, and I don't like the guy a whole bunch. I like a lot of stuff he does. But Jake, let me ask you something. This is funny. I voted early, so I voted early last week. Did you even know there's any Republicans running against Trump? No, I didn't. I didn't either until I went to vote. Like that's how big a lead he has, mind share he has in my head. I didn't even know there are other Republicans running, and there are. So, you know, let's see where this goes. The, the problem with the Democratic Party and the Republican Party has had the same problem. The problem with the Democratic Party is you have an extremist, which is Sanders. And what he's going to do, if he captures enough attention, enough of the votes, he's going to split the party up, which then decreases their ability to put somebody in office and will definitely decrease their ability to hold the House. So I think they're their own worst enemy. And I think some of the moderate Democrats know it. And by the way, people, I'm not a staunch Republican. I'm a moderate. Socially, I'm extremely liberal. I believe in smaller government, believe in good fiscal policies, good national protection. But socially, I'm very, very liberal about stuff. So, you know, this whole attack on the oil and gas industry, because it, it, you think it buys votes, just needs to stop. Absolutely. And on the last article of this week, let's kind of end on a high note. This article is titled, Big Money Still Loves Oil and Gas. So while shale is obviously having a hard time, there haven't been a whole lot of returns that have been passed on to investors in that part of the industry. 
there's still there's a lot of ways to make money in this industry. We keep talking about that. I think a lot of people keep losing sight of that. And the perception is that shale is all of oil and gas. And that's just not the truth. And so the fact of the matter is that it is hard to kind of find the same kind of returns that you would find with some of the oil and gas projects, especially on the aspiration side. That You really don't find those anywhere else. I was actually talking with some investors from the UK. And I haven't followed anything with their economy on that side, but apparently it's extremely hard even to get like a five or 6% return on anything over there due to Brexit and all that kind of stuff. And so all these guys are coming to the United States and looking at the oil and gas industry saying, we want in, you know, a lot of the other guys are getting out. We want in. And so in 2019 alone, oil and gas firms raised $617.4 billion in capital, which was up 7% on the year with loans and bonds accounting for 92% of capital raised. Yeah, and the other thing is, you know, a lot of people just keep concentrating on upstream. Big shout out to the Meridian Group. They're building a new Davis refinery in North Dakota and they're getting ready to build the same thing in the Permian. And this is a brand new refinery that's super optimized, super super high tech. Very few people there. They're going to make a hell of a return on their investment because they're using technology to do something that a lot of people don't think of when they think of the oil and gas industry, which is to turn hydrocarbons into something you can sell. And they've totally modernized the process, which is just genius. So there's still money to be made in this industry. That 5% return in the UK, that's silly. I could make more than that just throwing stuff in, into my mutual funds. It is interesting, though, to watch what's going to happen in upstream. I think we're going to see a bunch of consolidation. And this popped in my head the other day, Jake, and I sure hope I'm wrong about this. If you were a super major and you know that at some point in the future, because things are imploding in the shell fields in North America, well, let's say shell fields in the U.S. and the oil sands in Canada, would it be beneficial to you to help stroke the beliefs that there's no money to be made in upstream, so there's no investors, so that the people get bought quicker? Mm, yeah, that makes sense. I hope I'm wrong about that. It just popped in. It's like, you know, if I was a super major and my business planning isn't next quarter or next year, it's the next decade, I would be okay if stuff happened to make that market tank quicker so I could pick up assets for pennies on the dollar, you know? And once again, I don't know if that's happening. I don't know how you would do that. As long as it's legal, though, it would be fair in business. I mean, as long as it's ethical, if that sort of thing's going on, it just, you know, it's the same way if we picked up a competitor, we would want them to be as least valuable as possible so we could pick them up for the least amount of cash out of our pocket. So it just popped in my head. I have, you know, no data, no conversations to support that. But I'm starting to take all of these doom and glooms in the shell fields articles with a grain of salt because of that one thing. Because I know, I know the super majors are making money in the shell fields and I know they've just started and they have a lot of plans for growth and expansion and they want to do it as cheap as possible because they want to make sure they're doing right by their investors and their shareholders, their employees. So we'll keep an eye on this, but I think for my predictions for 2021, this might work its way in there. Absolutely. And that wraps up all the stories for this week. You guys know what's happening next week, First Friday Q&A. So if you have any questions, please write in. Don't try to stump us. We'll try to answer them for you. And we're still doing the giveaway. Obviously, Rogelio got a shirt. Yeah, and these shirts are really cool. We spent money on them. They're cut for both men and women. They have a print of, a, of antique pump jack on the front, the OGG and logo on one shoulder, the IBM logo on the other shoulder. And the most valuable thing is under the left part of the pump jack print is a unique serial number. Each shirt has a unique number, which makes it instantly collectible. And me and Jacob start giving away some really cool stuff based on that number. So if you have that shirt, you might want to save it. You know, ask your wife where she preserved her wedding dress and bring your OGG and shirt there and have it preserved just like her wedding dress. But then write that number down so that you know what that number is. I think that's funny, Jake. You watch. You and I go regret not winning this shirt five years now when people are selling for $20,000 each. And Jake and I can't win them if you want to know the rules because obviously IBM's a sponsor. 
sponsor for the show, which by the way, big shout out to IBM. I spent some time with some of their leaders in Calgary after the conference that we spoke at and Jake, they are doing some incredible stuff. And one of the things I really like about them, they're so under the radar. They have so much domain expertise. I literally had a room full of geoscientists, petroleum engineers, geophysicists, and oil and gas project managers that work for IBM talking about how we can work more together and help, you know, promote more of the stuff they were doing. It was just amazing to see all that oil and gas expertise on IBM's payroll. So big shout out to them. They're doing some really cool stuff. We've got more to come from them. And then Street Team, if you want to join our Street Team, we're finally getting some swag. Big shout out to Catherine and uh, Tim for getting the logo work completed for the Street Team shirts. It is stunningly cool. Go to Facebook, join the group, OGG and Street Team, easy to find. All we ask you to do is help us with our social media. We ask you for an hour's worth of work a week. But if you can't do it because life gets away, we don't care. We know how life is. And then if you want the monthly oil and gas events email, go to the show notes. The link is in there. We don't charge you for it. We put all the oil and gas events in one place in your inbox. And sometimes you get cool stuff like free passes or insider stuff that nobody else knows about. And then if you want Jake and I to come speak at your sales and marketing kickoff, your young professionals group, your school group, whatever, let us know. We got a bunch of stuff already booked for this year, but we have some spaces left. Just reach out. I'll be happy to share the details. Jake talked about the first Friday Q&A. The other thing is go join our LinkedIn group. I don't even know what it's up to. It's like a ton of, of people and it's growing like crazy. Uh, just another way for you to stay in touch. All right, Jake, we had a lot of stuff got done today. We need to get out of here. You ready to do it? Let's go. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Hey, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck for the next month. We have some exciting things coming up Two happy hours one in Pittsburgh and one in Denver. So the first one will be happening on March 22nd at Bubba's Gourmet Burgers and Beer. This event will be from four to seven and will feature a live recording of Oil and Gas This Week with Jake Corley and Mark LaCour. So be sure to check that out. You can sign up via our social medias. We have an Eventbrite sign up and should be good to go from there. The next event will be a happy hour in Denver at Liberty Oil Field Services on April 2nd. Once again, check our social medias for the Eventbrite sign up and sign up there. As some of our social media followers may know, we are headed to Aberdeen, Scotland the first week of March, in a couple days actually, for DokeroCon, creating high impact sales and energy. Dokuru is excited to launch its very first sales development conference, and OGGN's Mark and Patrick will be hosting a panel and recording a live podcast, so we're really excited to be joining that. The Leaders in Industry Luncheon is on March 11th at the Petroleum Club of Houston. Port of the Future is happening on March 10th and 11th in Houston. Your registration to the Port of the Future conference also allows you access to exclusive events, including TSA Security and Terrorism, Research Showcase, and many more. So be sure to view the agenda and see what they are offering. The Houston Energy Breakfast will be on March 20th at the Norris Conference Center in Houston. The API Energy Houston 3-Gun Chapter will be on March 20th. This event is filling up very quickly, so make sure to get a team in as soon as possible. The BP Energy Outlook 2020 edition will be on April 21st. It's happening online. And this event is about transitions that will take place to a low carbon energy system. That's all for this month, everybody. Hope you guys have a good month and check back in next month to see what events we're having. Thanks. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a product of the Oil & Gas Global Network. 
Learn more at oilandgasthisweek.com.